later in life when I had a girlfriend, but the uh, guitar, people know when to listen to that. <laughs> Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast from independent validator teams on the Cosmos and especially on its drama and doubly so I think in the last couple of weeks. Uh, with us this week we've got friend of the show, Ghost from Whisper Node, who is a fan of the, what is, what is it, what's the phrase you use Null? Sh- shoveling on Twitter? No. Shoveling shit. Sledger, big, big, big all-star Sledger on Twitter, sledging for justice, and we've got Moultrie audits with us as well. Um, so, uh, no, do you want to? First of all, we we have some we have some follow-up from last week, which is that you and Serp have gone and watched Master and Commander. So, <laughs> what the fuck you bring this up first thing? We got it's on the spreadsheet. We got follow ups. You know, it's important. Yeah. We need to, we need, I want I want a full breakdown before we continue with serious business. It's it's important to be consistent. Did you, Serpa, Did you watch it? Uh, I, I watched it immediately after the last show. I watched all sixteen hours of it. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. It actually took me an entire day to watch, uh, on and off. It was that fucking painful. Well, but, I, I guess um, I need to watch it now. I fell asleep like four times, so I think actually the running time was 16 hours. I just kept falling asleep like <laughs> like in the middle when what's his face was getting the bullet, bullet pulled out. But I did watch it. Yes, we, I think we should we should follow up on that. Look, I think overall it was a reasonable movie. I don't know if it's like movie of the year, like the Frey claims, but um, you know, look, Russell Crowe's a great actor. I don't think you could put him in any movie and it'd be shit. So the fact is that they were out at sea for a very long time. Not much happened. They chased the friggin' boat around for three hours, it seemed like. And some people died. There was some emotional scenes. It was, it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of that South Park episode. That's all I could think every time I hear Russell Crowe. Yeah. yeah. Masturbator and Commander. Look, it was sad when that little kid dude died. That, that was probably the only time the that I did dude. up there. Look, uh, the fray probably knows the little kid name and like the shanty they sang when uh, he, did, you know, they had the funeral, pushed them off the edge or whatever. I, I, I like that they just dump people in the water when they die. That yeah. was that movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Just like dip them off the edge. Was that that movie or was that another yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still did well, that. What else are they, they going to do with the bodies? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Take them home. Well, I, no, they'd go just, to an oh, island and yeah. bury them. I don't know. Cause disease on the ship, wouldn't they? They just commit them to the deep. See you well, later. Yeah. Yeah, Shark bait. Yeah. Off you go. I mean, yeah. nobody can nobody can be surprised at these reviews, right? So, it's a movie about English naval warfare, and you're asking both an Australian and a Yankee, right? <laughs> so, obviously, we're coming from a point of a little bit of negativity. Null calls out the only Australian in the movie. As yeah. being a great actor. No shit. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't see that one coming about Russell Crowe. He, like, uh, <laughs> he basically held the whole movie together. Of, of course he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. Paul Bettany is a great... He's a great actor, right? I think. Which we one was about, he? That is the doctor. Oh, yeah. No, he's, yeah, he's also a good actor. I think we were talking about like him English from uh, from Margin Call, right? So he's just a great actor. I think he's really cool. Um, I was trying to find some... I was hoping that they would run into each other and both ships would go down. That was actually kind of the ending I was looking for. 
but I figured <laughs> that would not be you can't have both both the English and the friendships is head down, but didn't happen. He definitely, he had a bone to pick with that other fella, didn't he? Um, he did. So uh, other notable characters in there was like Frodo or something, which was the there was one of those big feeded lads in there, wasn't there? Had lots one of, of the scars hobbits. on his face. Yeah, was there a hobbit in there? Oh Ooh. yes, there was the, a hobbit. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, who else did I recognize? I don't know. Lots I should know who that is. Dead people. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. I thought there was some the I could see where the two hundred million went. There was some really great cinematography, especially like in those close battles structure with the with the uh, cannons going off all that kind of stuff was good the close encounter type stuff with the shaky cam and all that stuff is a little bit chess but you know I thought the uh, up stuff close was pretty good as well um significantly million? gory it had some gore in there right like guy getting shot in the head and you got the yeah, sword up, up, front, really, up front sword fights and things like that I could have like appreciated you know more uh matter like more gray matter on the headshots yeah it wasn't like a whole lot of spattering it was just like you know presumably those balls make big holes so i would think so yeah yeah i don't know plus they're going slow right so they're doing a little bit more damage as like blonde force object than just something passing through something but yeah yeah yeah. so anyway i think not not entirely realistic is what we're saying i think what we're both i think we're both agreeing to or what we saw last week which is agreeing with imdb is that this movie is perfectly average decidedly average yeah all right that is the end of the, and that's most. I think that's a majority of Game of Nodes' opinions on Master <laughs> and Commander. So I think that's Gon gives this movie a perfectly seven and a half out of ten. Seven for two hundred million. I love watching. I love watching the phrase face during all this conversation. It's just amazing. He's just taking it in. He's planning his revenge later on. You can't, you can't be right about everything, can you? So, you know, <laughs> things things that Null is right about accounting, things that Usurper is, is right about network switches, things that both of you all are right about not movies. I can take that. <laughs> you know, I don't get many it. movie recommendations off you two. So, you know, uh, but. Uh, Did you watch yeah, Two I, Hands? I'm pretty sure I recommended Two Hands. Did you watch that? No. Did we talk about no. Two Hands? Yeah, we talked about Two Hands. It's in the show notes somewhere. Really? The Heath, the Heath Ledger How would you movie. You never look at the show days. You never help guide the <laughs> ship. It's always mutiny from you. I said, put the thing so we can contribute, and you just don't do it. You just have no, to make it a team thing, a brand. What? You make it a brand, and we can have more than one member. I, the, I, but, I wrote what? it in the gone. I wrote it in the in the Discord. It's, it's not in the spreadsheet, and it's definitely significantly not in the spreadsheet. Yeah, it's definitely it's in the. It's in the Discord. I said, change it to a brand, and then we can all contribute. All right, so that's our the, homework for the YouTube next week. Yeah, we can we can fix it. So you're talking about two hands with Heath Leather Ledger, right? Like another yeah, seven point zero out of ten. So another average movie. It is an easy <laughs> nine point five to be okay. fair. All right. I mean, right. watch it. Yeah, I, okay. I will watch that purely so that I can tell you something you love is a seven point five. All right. Look, uh, then it's my got Heath Ledger in it. So I recommend you go and watch all 7,952 hours of Home and Away as well. <laughs> so then my, home, my homework for this week <laughs> is to find a movie that I think is amazing that IMDb shows as a 7.0. And that'll be then for week three, I'll, I'll put something forward. I feel What's like a 10? five has to be average out of 10. How's 7.5 average? On IMDb though, like there's some pretty yeah, shit movies five is like five. terrible. Yeah. A five yeah. is the middle. Well, five is like, yeah, but, but see, yeah, that's the thing. Like the average isn't really the average. It's yeah. just shit. 
That's like, like a th- below yeah. a seven. It's like it's like restaurant ratings, like three and a half walk. Don't eat. <laughs> like on IMDb, five is the floor. So five is pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah All right. It's like, anything's uh, less. It's like a well-known thing in reviews how they they massively, massively, massively skew like into that final quadrant so that you need that's why you need the 0.5s because otherwise it's basically impossible to actually arrive at a, a rating um but it's like a, a really no but it's why if you go to like the edinburgh fringe or like a comedy festival why it's really noticeable that they also give ones and twos because two is it genuinely is shit like don't go see it but one one is it's such a car crash you should probably go see it and like so i was, like, was going to say the same thing about imdb when you're getting down to like the 2.5 three mark we're looking at cult classics so yeah yeah that's true i mean you've got to watch those yeah but if the room probably that decidedly like, shit it's probably good but but some of that stuff that rates pretty high in imdb but the but the uh like the critic reviews are awful right like that's what that's what, that's usually the opposite. Cult classic usually means everybody loves it. And they put high Actually, numbers, Noel's but, like, kind of got a point here. The room has got three point six out of ten. So cult, cult classics don't become so, highly rated until later. When they first come out, they're rated dog shit because they're enough. crap. Yeah, right. But they're you know they become cult classics, right? So because like okay, only a few then, people like then them. Again, that's why they're cult. Then again, then again, one of the best bad films of all time, Miami Connection has a perfect average of 5.6 yet it is objectively one of the most hilarious and batshit films ever made um so that oh, well. I've, never seen that. I've never seen that miami I've connection it. it is i've seen this it's been yeah. absolutely oh, amazing it, it, it opens it, it opens with uh the guy <laughs> who made it was this guy called grandmaster yk kim and it's it, the the only available surviving copy is from like one that was submit, made to be submitted to award shows. Yeah, and normally then the the, the team and stuff will be there, and it just opens with a cold open of Grandmaster YK Kim is not in attendance, and then it just plays the film, and then right at the end, and then there's loads of stuff that happens. It's crazy, and there's lots of violence and kung fu and stuff. Well, not kung fu, taekwondo, I think, uh, if memory serves. Um, really specifically, I think it's taekwondo, and they were like. They basically saw that Bruce Lee and stuff, it was around that time, had gotten popular, and they're like, we need that for Taekwondo. So they like remortgaged their house and made this film. And it's got like this 40-year-old grandmaster who's supposed to be an American high school kid. Yeah, It is amazing. And the stunts are also actually really good, but the whole premise is mental. And then right at the end, it just says, like, again, cold finish, only through the elimination of violence will we achieve world peace. End of the film. Uh, that's it? It is absolutely sensational. There are ninjas that deal cocaine in it. It's it it's it, like and there's the, the the dialogue is insane. Like this this whole like thing goes down and this guy just goes ninjas. He's like so annoyed. He's like, it sounds, it sounds a lot like a five to me. Oh no! no <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. It's, it's like you know that film <laughs> Raw that we were talking about. Now? Yeah, the the one with all the lions and shit. It's it's like that kind of mental where you're just like, how did this get made? This is awesome. Um, I actually I want to watch that new um, like Bollywood esque movie RRR. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's like I think it's new. If it's got good dubs, I'll watch it. Um, 
R R R. Just three R's. R. That's R for for R, but not Australians. Have you ever have you ever heard or seen of um uh, seen heard of or seen Turkish Star Wars? No. I gotta hear this. So, no. so the reason I know about all these totally weird films is because I used to go, uh, there was a film night, uh, which was just like literally lost weird films that should never have happened. Like Lady Terminator, that is a brilliant film. Like my favorite fact about Lady Terminator. So it's, it's not a robot from the future. It's a sorceress queen from the past. Lady Terminator. Um, it's yeah. like this B movie. I think it was made in like Indonesia or something like that. And one of the people who was in it thought it was going to be a big deal. So he changed his name so that his name wouldn't collide. You know how the Americans have that thing where you will have to have a unique name or something in the actors guild. So he oh, thought yeah, he yeah, had yeah. a yeah. quite common name and it was already taken. And he thought this film was going to be such a big deal. He changed his name. And what did he change his name to? He changed his name to Alvin Stardust and he's credited and, uh, and it has oh just i mean yeah if you go and look maybe, up maybe go we should move on up lady terminator okay all right so, we, to sorry to on onto it he's like we're gonna bore everyone to death before we actually get to what we're talking about so to sum up we do have some homework for next week for uh that heath ledger movie right that's what we talked about yeah yeah and uh, i think we should all watch rrr all right R-R-R. well that it's yeah. just released this year but yeah i can make that happen I like how I didn't even say anything. I already got roasted in the chat <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, so I was actually going to say so. We've like gotten we've gotten people on to talk about specific things, and we're still just talking the same shit from last week. <laughs> Welcome, to I, Game of Nerds. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did do other homework too. I look. I picked up debt first five thousand years. Although I didn't realize how thick this book was, is which it, was really. Is it's it a big boy. It's a big boy. I have it written down in my journal from last five thousand years. Five thousand. Yeah, five thousand years of debt. So yep. that's why it takes like the better part of a year to read. I'm like halfway through. So how many? Pages? I thought I was going to read it for. <laughs> I thought I was going to read it for this week, and then it showed up. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe December game and nodes. And the other thing is that like you go to sleep per chapter as well. So like Master maybe Commander. per half chapter. Yeah, pretty much. It, it takes fourteen goes to. Re- per scene mm-hmm. so um yeah you know whenever you're feeling like highly energetic and you know people want you to settle down just read half a chapter <laughs> you'll be out perfect um, <laughs> um i did order the rest of those books actually some showed up quite quickly yep. thanks amazon which ones that's uh i don't the the skunk works and uh the other I had the crew. I had the Kryptonians on my list, and I had Debt the first 5,000 years, but I remember hearing about Skunk Wars last week, yeah. Oh, no no Zen for you, Ghost. You didn't go ordering the, uh, the uh, what would you call those type of books, Usurper? The Zen books. Taoist um, philosophy. Yeah, philosophy, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also Taoist. It's not Zen. Isn't Well, okay, exposing my potential ignorance, isn't Zen Buddhism... And the, obviously, Tao Te Ching is Taoism. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Although, obviously, there is, <laughs> there, is there is a synergy between the two in the sense of the two are often combined with animism in in, in certain parts of East Asia to to create sort of a, a compound folk religion, I guess. 
Holy shit, know, can we move on? I, I should know more about this since I'm Let's get to the content. I don't. So. <laughs> Wait, I'm waiting for you to look at the spreadsheet and take us on, Dal. Come on. <laughs> we look, we look forward to your tweets. Yeah. Okay, let me open it up. Uh, so just, you know, talk amongst yourselves for a second. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess like if we're doing, uh, if if we're just doing follow ups and talk and kind of like events of the week, I think the tornado uh, cash USDC fracar is probably worth mentioning at the top of the show because that's fun, isn't it? I mean, I know it's not directly related to the cosmos, but you know, um, it raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? But, uh, hang on, hang on. So you're telling me to go back and look at the spreadsheet. Literally, the only thing on the spreadsheet is Master and Commander. <laughs> That's because I added that. <laughs> That's basically Whoa. the equivalent of a game of Rodeo's Rickroll, by the way. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, sorry. All right, keep um, going. No, no, uh, you got it. Just move it on the fray. Move it on. Come on. Let's go. Right, are we cash. doing tornado cash or not? Yeah, yeah tell us about tornado cash. cash. All right, maybe, I, maybe. I'm taking the position here of annihilationism. I mean, we all knew that this was going to happen sooner or later with products like tornado cash and front end services. So I don't see this as a big deal whatsoever. I mean, you can just reinstantiate contracts like this, do the exact same thing. There's tons of services that offer stuff like tornado cash. You can basically do the same stuff using secret network as it is. So I don't view this as a big deal whatsoever. Do you it's, think that there's a, well, maybe more for the Americans, but there's more, it, the significance is more about um, the effect on open source code than it is about the actual service itself and, and whatnot. Like the press. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, like why wouldn't we just build a product where you could, in a censorship resistant way, share your code? I mean, like we're doing stuff like that with Akash. I know there's Gitopia, which mm -hmm. is doing the same thing as well. So I think that these products will be out soon. And this is kind of a non-issue. I have a background actually in the DOD and NSA. So I think people get overhyped about like uh, offensive campaigns domestically in the US when this is the best they could do. You know what I mean? Is like go after a few addresses and not much is going to come of it in my opinion just kind of to scare people, hopefully in their eyes, nobody will understand that they're technically deficient to actually stop the backend processes from running. And so they're trying to make a show out of it and cause a stir. Of course, wasn't it something like half a billion almost in assets though, that are now basically blacklisted, you know, in theory worthless yeah. if AMMs and all that just decide to not honor them because they're tainted addresses now. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, that's those people's fault for relying on services that could be censored, you know, as harsh as that sounds. No, no. Like, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, I agree. Do you think um, that people maybe didn't see that risk when they were interacting? Because it, it's you, the bottleneck there is USDC, right? Um, and I think my low opinion of USDC has already been on the show in the past, but like, that could have been any fiat off-ramp that is censorable, right? So there, there is a question here of like, uh, well, there's an interesting question, I suppose, other than like doing what I remember people used to do back in the you know, early Bitcoin meetups in like 2012, 2013, where they were literally swapping it in person and paying cash, which 
in hindsight, holy shit, that was really weird. Points. That was a really weird period. But at the time, completely normal to go to a crypto meetup and see people swapping, uh, swapping it by, you know, essentially handing it off. Um, but like, what, what is the what is the systemic solution to that kind of thing? Is there one? I guess not if you want to, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think we actually do need, if you're going to rely on crypto as a payment in the context of like a domestic economy, you do need stable coins tied to that native currency. And uh, the reality is like Doquan failed, but I didn't think that that was a, like a fruitless effort. And I don't think there's any reason like why Terra actually had to fail. I know that's a super controversial opinion, but something needs to take its place as a decentralized cryptocurrency. Uh, even if it is over collateralized, like I know Rye has a pretty interesting model that hasn't failed yet. So maybe that's going to be the standard, but we need a decentralized stable coin. Or we just have to accept like, look, we're not going to be able to pay for US services. And there's not going to be as much of a intermingling financially between Web 2 and Web 3, which I'm also fine with. Yeah. No, um, Shade had a Twitter space earlier today. It was like three or four hours ago. I hopped in. I was kind of half listening. But, uh, you know, Tornado Cash was, of course, the biggest and main subject. And just the need to have Silk deployed faster. Of course, you know, they need to make sure everything's robust and working and actually survivable. You know, and then there came the question of, well, what happens if the U.S. decides to go after anybody that's in the U.S. working on this project? You know, are there other people in other countries? What happens if all of a sudden you get this cross-border coalition? You know, it's it raises all sorts of questions. You know, um, you mentioned Gitopia and Akash. Uh, I'm really excited for Gitopia. We're Whisper Note's going to be a part of the test set, of course. Um, I think it has a lot of potential, you know, when those GitHub accounts got taken down, it's kind of a big hit for developers everywhere. You know, you look at that and go like, okay, everything I just worked on or everything I contributed to can just be completely taken away, but it's a centralized service. They absolutely have the authority to do that. And, you know, all it takes is a subpoena or whatever. And that's it. So you see kicked on. That noise everybody hears is uh, ghost uh, air conditioning because he lives on the surface of the sun, um, where the current temperature is somehow yeah, north of no, it's like one hundred thousand degrees Celsius. Pretty much, was yeah, it was one hundred and ten like Fahrenheit. Was one hundred and ten? So like, I don't know. It's like forty. I don't know, forty something Celsius, roughly. I remember. Yeah. Go, I, I've been to Arizona once, and I remember it's so hot you literally would like dash between, yeah. like shade. And then just be yeah. like, right, fuck it, we're in some shade. And then you'd be like, fuck, there's no more shade. I literally I, I ran to my living box, which street. is like 600 feet away in my community. And then I went to the Chevron, which is another 400 feet away. And between there and coming back, I was already like drenched in sweat. It's it's so, literally the yeah. floor is lava there. Like like the it's asphalt is no, melting under lava. your feet. Yeah, there is, there is no yeah. floor. It's just lava everywhere. Yeah. So Do you guys um, mind if I go on like a 30 second to 45 second tirade on what Dylan Schultz put in? Yeah, yeah, hang on. Yeah, what, yes, it was just, just said. <laughs> hang on. So, oh, welcome, Brendan. Welcome. Uh, haven't welcomed you yet, mate. So, welcome in. Hey, we, you didn't miss much to begin with. We were just oh. talking about Master and Commander for another <laughs> oh, yeah. <half> hour. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so Dylan Shield says put up here. So, jeez. Oh, 
Ah, stop it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Okay. So for the people who are listening, Dylan Shells has put up the question, really doesn't need to be stable off the USD. And then the further question was, that's stable off the euro, though. I think we're talking about e-money. Uh, why not stable off basket of goods? So I guess potentially, for example, from defund or something like that. So, shade. Uh, so, Moultrie, uh, you were, did I say that right? Moultrie? Moultrie, yes. Moultrie, sorry. A revolutionary flag of the US. Oh, nice. Moultrie, you uh, had a tirade to go on. Please continue. Yeah, and a positive tirade. <laughs> um, oh, okay. But, so, the, the first thing is like there are obviously uh, cryptocurrency stable coins that aren't based off the US dollar, like Rai, which is tagged to this arbitrary number on Ethereum. I'm kind of bearish though on like basket of goods services because if you think about what the dollar already is, is it's just a way to mediate value between two unrelated goods and services across time and space. So like how many oranges is worth one donkey? Like you have no idea and you can eat all those oranges at once. So that's why money is useful. So if inflation happened instantaneously, it wouldn't make a difference because you're still measuring the value between two goods and services. But the problem is because it doesn't happen instantaneously, it distorts markets as that process occurs, particularly well, uh, financial could, markets. If, if I could interject there, um, so if in, inflation happens instantaneously, that would affect a market, for example. It depends on if that happens on a global scale. Like if we're talking just mm -hmm. America, yeah, sure, the USD is only – you know, relevant to people in America and a lot of other people being a global reserve. However, uh, you know, if I keep all of my money, for example, in a USD pegs asset and there's a lot of inflation uh, in America, that'll drive down the value compared to uh, my country's native asset, let's say, unless we get a similar amount of inflation, right? So exactly, uh, yeah. I, I think it there is everywhere like uniformly instantaneously. Just the fact that the dollar price went up wouldn't make a difference because the no, value if everyone else has changed yeah. relatively. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, w when you're in a situation where, um, you know, the US is printing a lot of money and staring at potentially, you know, quite a bit of inflation over the next five to 10 years uh, and other countries may not be in a similar situation, then there's going to be some devaluing of their currency against the US currency, particularly if it happens quickly. So, you know, I guess a potential advantage of a grab bag of um, of uh, stable assets to you know various currencies um, in certain proportions would be that there would be at least some sort of inflation protection against uh, you know any single currency, but also um, you know providing the same sort of thing. It's just not pegged to a U.S. dollar. Yeah, if it was pegged to other currencies as well, in addition to the U.S. dollar, that would be interesting. But a basket of goods pegs to try and protect against inflation, I don't think makes sense because the dollar already is mediating against those goods and services. So then, yeah, like like a basket protected. of actual. So when you say a basket of goods, we're talking like you know a basket of uh, you know some Juno and some Osmosis and some Bitcoin and mm. some I don't know Tesla shares or whatever. Um, so yeah. I guess they, they are then, well, then different things. Like one is a basket yeah. of uh, stocks and other things, really. And then the other one is a basket of currencies, I guess. Well, you, yeah. I mean, I guess that's more like a, that's more like collateralizing or like an ETF or, or, you know, a traded fund 
Whereas like when, when this is done at currency level in traditional macroeconomics, it's done against specific consumer goods. Exactly. Um, so yeah. petrol, orange, orange juice, bread, bread is the big one, like bread, milk, like every, <laughs> every country in the world, pretty much, unless they hate milk, which I think is relatively rare. It's probably have bread and milk on the list of consumer price uh, goods that they're using to assess inflation and then work against. But we, we have a pretty good, mo- we have a pretty good, well studied example of how this can play out in practice. Uh, and a lot of the pitfalls with it, which is the euro. I mean, and the the problems of the eurozone in tracking consumer price inflation in a series of pretty heterogeneous economies that function in very very different ways has like not always been plain sailing by any means. And the problem there has primarily been like, well, it's been a lot of different things. Obviously, everybody has an opinion. My opinion is it's all about you know, convergence and it's a lack of investment in certain areas while still, you know, wanting essentially to bring people into the single market. But what is, I guess that's the question here. Like when we're talking about like uh, inflation and stuff in the context of things we need to be aware of in the space that we're in, what do we care about? Do we care about purchasing price of the average consumer? Is that why we think inflation is an issue or do we, what, what is the other reason for being worried about inflation? Because my instinctual reaction to inflation is it only matters as far as it infects um purchasing power right you know how many big macs can I buy for one juno if you like which is the you know the, the economist's famous metric isn't it like the big mac index like if we started going like okay how's the juno do it how's juno doing in terms of how many big macs i can get that's the problem isn't it because we'd be talking about the us or we'd be talking about different countries but we'd still be talking about purchasing power so like could you do a compound index of that or do we not give a shit about purchasing power don't know so i mean it matters in terms of preservation of value right so your purchasing power is the value of the the currency relative to other things so i mean it, it, there's a it, there's a problem with just you know picking one and rolling with it there can be granted usd is the big one but yeah it's it's relative inflation is the is the issue not just inflation and purchasing power of one single currency yeah because you know this is a global scale like sometimes we tend to forget that the entire crypto universe doesn't just exist in america and it's a on a global scale right so it's not about the relative purchasing power of just one currency it's on a global scale so um you know what 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 affects me in australia might not affect uh you know uh ghost in america so much like if if the us dollar goes up a hundred percent then you know obviously that would come along with some kind of income on on savings and that type of stuff and it might not affect them so much as if um, the US dollar go say I've got all my money in USDC and the US dollar goes up 100% and Australia stays relatively stable, then I've lost 50% of the value of that relative to my currency. I, I think actually too, like inflation matters most in supply side economics. It's like I'll draw a little graph here. If you can't see it, I'll just give up. But <laughs> I'll just like, quit immediately. Can you see that? Yes. So like if you have demand one and supply one meeting, like that is going to be the free market rate for something. And then 
Like what inflation actually does is drive up demand because the expectation that goods and services will be more expensive in the future incentivizes you to spend the goods and services now. So demand rises to demand too, right over here, which pushes up the price of goods and services as demand rises relative to supply. To supply. So supply rises to meet the increased demand. But if the money printing ever stops, demand will fall back to the free market rate and you actually experience deflation or relative deflation. So the second intersection right here is the new rate. So it's lower than the original one. So then you have the issue of a broken supply chain of people who purchase the goods and services ahead of time aren't continuing to purchase. Therefore, layoffs occur, supply surges occur. At the same time, prices are going to begin to, to fall because the artificial demand stimulated in the markets, particularly in financial markets, isn't going to be there at the free market rate. And like you can see that where asset prices skyrocketed uh, when the Fed started printing in 2020 or just printing more. And then they kind of collapsed as soon as the Fed said they were going to stop. And a lot of stuff fell pre uh, to pre-COVID levels. So I think that's the issue of inflation primarily. You, you just brought me back to like macro 101 and uh, 15 years ago, you know, <laughs> that was good. I, yeah. It's, the only, yeah. I mean, yeah. I have an economic research published on this. Uh, so that's the only reason I know anything about this particular issue. <laughs> so like just one thing I would add, like in money printing and inflation and, and supply and demand is that um, I don't think that the supply and demand curve I couldn't see yours properly. Yours had two lines, but I, I don't think that um, in a in a heavy inflation environment that the supply and demand curve is one hundred percent accurate. In that, um, when you're in a situation where the economics is kind of buggered anyway, you've got uh, when you've got like COVID and a lot of unemployment, um, you're in a. I think this is sort of like the thesis of the 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 new what do they call it? The new, the money printing, um, thesis. Uh, I can't remember what they, what the name of it is. Yeah. Well, it's quantitative easing, but they call it like new, uh, you know, it's like new economics or some shit like that. But anyway, when there's like a period oh, of high new, unemployment, new, new economic theory. Yeah. Well, it's called something like, you know, it's, it's something weird like modern economics or something like that. Anyway, can't hear you, mate. Um, when there's like low employment, you're in a bit of a situation where you can print money to a certain degree to uh, counteract the lack of uh, competition in the marketplace. So modern monetary theory, right? Yeah, that's it. Modern monetary theory. So um, at a Google. Yeah. So how it works is you can you can print money for a little while while there's low unemployment. Um, without driving up inflation too much because there's reduced marketplace competition. And as you print money and distribute it in a you know, fair and equitable way to the people, then they can then create some competition in the marketplace to either keep prices stable or slightly push them up. Um, but you can only do it for so long until you've flooded so much money supply into the market and not producing anything because people are unemployed, that it all sort of goes a little bit to shit, well, which is where we're at now. If you're primarily doing it by credit as well, that's the other problem. Yeah. Because Sorry, who, who disagrees? I think we Moultrie probably though, both yeah. disagree Moultrie, for different yeah. reasons. I'll let Moultrie yeah. go first. I'm an anti-monetarist for sure. So like, I would reject the idea that printing money 
could ever not lead to more inflation. You might not see CPI increase in terms of a percentage, but it would always have to be higher than it otherwise would have been if you weren't earning money. So that would be my counterclaim. The fray, you also had something to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually very a very, very similar point, which is that like you're going to you're always going to cause inflationary pressure with measures like that, whether you're moving on the demand side or the supply side. And my issue with MMP is more that because it operates almost entirely in practice uh, along the lines of like, um, yeah, essentially credit. It's actually not. It's basically the unsustainable nature of the way in which you're stimulating demand to create the illusion of growth that is actually the problem and this kind of comes back to purchasing power because the other way of changing purchasing power which also is inflationary because all these things are um is actually to allow wage inflation to happen and one of the big things that's happened from the 1970s onwards is a fall in real wages and like that is a a big reason why i think ordinary people um have this idea that inflation is bad is because what they what they associate with that is the decline in purchasing power on a, a measure of real wages which you can see a lot and lots of different problems that come along from that and primarily the replacement of of buying power with credit which has obviously been accelerating since the 20s onwards and i am not enough of an economic scholar on the history of credit to to talk on it on you know, in any meaningful depth, but th that replacement has its own impact in terms of the the movement of the macro demand and supply. And it is a complex system, so I'm not. I you know, obviously, it's not just like oh, you move one thing and then you move this other thing. No, there's a we, lot of moving parts. Yeah. You you have to choose which of those, which com like what kind of level of stimulus you're trying to push in which direction. I guess. Although I'm still not 100 percent sure what this has to do with uh, with tornado cash, but oh yeah, we get it lost in the weeds quite often. <laughs> So I know like in Australia, like we're sort of just starting to experience the inflation now a little bit, but we've, we've got stagflation because, and I think America's probably in the same situation. Um, like our, our, there's no real wage growth in Australia at the moment, but we are seeing quite a bit of like price pressure on, you know, consumer goods. And it's, it is a lot to do with how we did our inflation here, but also cheap credit at the same time. People here have gone absolutely fucking mad and just borrowing money left, right, and center um, for just consumer goods and stuff like that. So um, you're in a situation where we've had COVID, supply chains are crunched all over the world. We've kept available money supply by printing money and injecting it into the economy in various ways. And now we've got a lot of people trying to buy stuff. We're hitting a supply crunch. So there's a lot of competition now in the marketplace to buy the same things, uh, recreational stuff and stuff you shouldn't be uh, buying, staring down the face of a um, depression. And that is just really starting to put a lot of pressure on the market and push prices of everything up. But at the same time, you're not seeing any real uh, wage growth, inflation or anything like that. So. I mean, some of that stems from all the logistics and shipping issues in China and all that as well. So it's like combining that with the inflation is just a recipe for disaster. And yeah, absolutely. And I think that it was done on the, um, you know, with the with the view that COVID was a short term thing and things would be 
back on track and, and global supply chains would be back on track. And now we've got a lot of free cash in the, in the economy and not a lot of production and productivity. So yeah. And you know, all the supply uh, issues and, and um, yeah, so it's, it's really just culminated in, in now a lot of competition and price inflation, but yeah, for some reason the, 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 um, wage inflation isn't following it. And I know in Australia that a lot of companies are just profiteering off the idea of inflation. So they but don't pay their not, people more money. Worth, I, I know but, I, just, just to interject, it is worth saying that Australia is one of the few places I think that has actually had a diminished impact of uh, stagnant, um, uh, stagnant or declining real wages in the global north because of your mining and heavy industry like for everybody else that's been declining since like the 80s but yeah. australia has actually been bucking the trend until uh, uh, to my knowledge until relatively recently so i think it, it may also be that it's just catching up with the rest of um the economic situation that's been experienced elsewhere I just want to also shout out, uh, we just had a comment from Ben Davis saying the correct way to make a stable coin is to peg it to the price of, of the price of a Freddo. <laughs> that is the most stable, stable, uh, what's it called? Commodity in the universe. So yes, that is a sensible what? way. I thought it was Arizona Freddo. What is that? What is a Freddo? Yeah. So one, one more thing I do want to say completely unrelated to what we're here to talk about is that in Australia, at least, um, Companies, I feel, and from some of the stuff I've read, are using the the um, illusion of inflation uh, to actually push their prices up and make bigger margins. So there's no wage growth inflation at the moment, but there is inflation in the price of goods and services, and a lot of that is companies using yeah the the talk of inflation to actually push their prices higher and make and make deeper margins on the same amount of cost base so non-facetiously on ben's point a freddo usurper is yes. a very small sweet it is a little chocolate about yay guy yay hi it's got a little frog on it freddo the frog oh, okay. holy shit and, he doesn't know what a freddo is what yeah i know i just assumed everybody had freddos but apparently not nope. um but it's <clears> always <throat> perfectly slightly more than like the absolute cheapest sweet but slightly less than like a fudge bar you know, so in terms of purchasing price, the Freddo has been astonishingly consistent for a very, very long period of they, time. They haven't, they haven't shaved off the Freddo over the years, just a little bit here and there. Well, this is the thing. This the thing. Okay, look, if anybody knows how many grams of Freddo has been over the past forty years, so we can track that, because maybe my assumption that the purchasing price of the average child has always been adequate to get you a Freddo a day, maybe. That Freddo you get every day is going down in size. So, which would just prove that we're just, we're just getting shafted up on the center. Do we have a live rewind? Did you just say the purchasing <laughs> price of a child? I said the purchasing power. I said the purchasing power of a child. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you, you know, said purchasing the price of a child. The average cost of a child. I was like, yeah, well, the, the average cost of a child is like what, a uh, hundred thousand dollars to raise them to high school age, something like that, or something crazy like that. I, I think it's a in the U.S. It's like a quarter mil, roughly. It's, quarter mil. You go or more. What, what's the joke for Calvin and Hobbes? There's something like 
all, all the money we're using to raise you, you've got to ask Calvin, is that cash in the bank or is that a loan? <laughs> is it is it Fredo or Fredo? Fredo. 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 Oh, it's not Fredo like that. Yeah. No, it was no you, Godfather Fredo. One, right? It was you, Fredo. It's not you. Okay. I, I, I really enjoyed your uh, Big Mac Juno. I was looking at what how many Big Macs the Juno was at, and this week it's gone from about 0.8 Big Macs to 1.21 Big Macs. Oh, and actually, just now, it just crossed over 1.22 Big Macs since we've been on this call. That's amazing. I hope we can is get there to an two. index. We need I'm, I'm going to create one. This is because. Yeah. yeah, we should create one because there is no dot com forward slash Big Mac. Yeah. Can, yeah. can we put Mac that on notes. the Game of Notes website? Just yeah. as a yeah. background the Juno in B- the yeah. uh, Juno BMI. The, <laughs> the Juno BMI. That's right. So yeah. we're at one right now. I'm just doing the math. We're at 1.22 BMI, which is pretty awesome. I'm hoping we get to, I mean, I mean, the ATH is like, I don't know, nine BMI, but that's okay. We'll get there. We'll take 1.25 right now. Completely unrelated to anything again. Um, (laughs) Moultrie, since you're here and you said that you work at the DOD, say, what do you know about Bob Lazar? (laughs) I don't know anything. Uh, I don't work like for the DOD anymore. We do do a lot of work related to them. Um, so we're trying to coordinate an announcement from the Pentagon right now about some stuff we did on top of secret in Akash. But um, hasn't press release hasn't come out yet, so I've just been sitting on it. Um, but hopefully we'll get some some cool stuff, not related to any controversial political figures uh, or anybody else out. Dang it. <laughs> I, was, I was hopeful. I thought you might have some insider information that you'd be, you know, willing to share on a live. Podcast. Maybe, maybe Brendan does. <laughs> yeah. I don't know hey man, we'll, we'll get we'll get you on a silver contract. That's what we'll do. I used to work for uh, Navy, actually, DoD, Marine Corps. Ah, <laughs> uh, Navy. Don't get me started now. Were you a SWO? Yeah. SWO subs, pilot. Uh, none of the none of the above. Just just. Well, the Navy, they're the best place. It's, you know, you guys are. At the front line with those UFOs, right? No, <laughs> that, 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 uh, there's some funny, funny military stereotypes about the Navy, but yeah, full, full, full of semen. I mean, my it's dad's a master so, <laughs> You know, my, my dad's going just, just on his thirty years. Of, you know, about to retire, and I always give him shit for you know loving to hang out. With I take full, back full everything, Ghost. I take back it all. <laughs> I take it all back. <laughs> okay. Right. So do we want to move on then to uh, the next topic that we're coming up with topics as we're talking, uh, we're, we're building out the spreadsheet. So yeah. let's move on to uh, some validator re- related stuff. How about Sybils guys? Uh, so I think we're discovering that there are, well, I mean, we've got the Hubi, Hubi, uh, yep. what network was that on? Was that a that, that is Cosmos Hub? So it's in yeah. theory, it's not technically a Sybil because they're openly doing it. With does that you know, make it not a Sybil? So in, I would yes, say it technically it yes, but it's okay. still the same concept. They're taking up two slots. It just, so, so what? What would you suppose uh, that yeah. the purpose of that is to have two validators? Being so rich that you're like, let's spread our. Fuck it, I can do it. The ICF's on my side. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. That's actually yeah, the only right. confusing part about this to me. Like, I actually don't think that this is, I'm open to changing my mind, but I don't think this is bad that they have two validator nodes. That's me and ghost. I think disagree about this, but uh, the only confusing thing is about why they would do two, because if you're paying for one piece of infrastructure, and you have 100,000 tokens delegated to you, that's going to be more cost-effective than splitting it between two and having 50 at each. So I'm just not sure why they're doing it. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And we can get into I that. I think if you have a lot of uh, tokens delegated, like the cost of infrastructure, et cetera, becomes relatively not an issue. Yeah, um, I mean, they could run a Hetzner for 40, 50 bucks a month, and it's you know trivial to run that on. Just any new validators out there listening, for God's sake, don't use Hetzner. Just pick something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody on this so, call is using it, so let's hey. <laughs> so obviously we have like also a bunch of um, other validators that are uh, like white labels, right? So, I mean, what what do we think about that? Is Do we consider that? A Sybil if it's not disclosed or does it not really matter? Does it matter because it's the same operator? Like, are we looking yeah. at the inherent risk of that and potentially that they're all in the same place running the same sort of, um, you know, methodology uh, with their infrastructure and that type of stuff? So any comments on that? Well, there's a reason so, the Juno delegations handbook specifically says if you, if you are not running your own infra or if you're a, right, a white label, both the white labeler and the person who is getting somebody to run their infra for them can't get a delegation from from dev, from core, for for running other infra, whatever. Doesn't matter. Like even if you white label a validator and a relayer, you get no points for the relayer because you're white labeling. So it's out of your you hands. Get- it's out of your control. How, yeah, how would you, they you, know that? There's no accountability and responsibility there. Like, what's what's the fucking point of Web three if we're all just going to pay somebody else to run our shit for us? That's fucking stupid. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing from my perspective. Yeah, I disagree, and like the I don't necessarily disagree. Like, if we're talking about from a front end side, it's like on a cash. There's this group called Prater, and they build providers for people, essentially. And so like to do that, they require you to have attributes on chain that say specific things about you, but there's still the ability to revert to pseudonymity, however you say the word, at the protocol level. And I think that's important. So like if the government was coming for one of our chains and they knew I ran Moultrie, it's going to be really easy to shut me down. But if I paid other people to run things and had it under my name, that does add a level of robustness in terms of keeping the chain going if a nation state was to come after us. Yeah, but I just don't think that's... Okay, well, it might happen for the Americans, but I think for the rest of us, we're going to get taxed, and then that will be the end of it. They're going to be like, oh, thanks, that's quite a bit of money. Yeah, you know what? Just don't rip people off. Keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you're going to have... They're going to basically come for us, and they're going to be... It's not going to be like, oh, they come for you. It's going to be like... Hey man, I hate to tell you this. Here's 50 pages of paperwork you need to fill in now to continue being a validator because sorry, like, you know, we're going to have to do this. And also just a little bit more tax and you're going to be like, oh, that's a pain. Can we afford it? Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I guess I'll move on with my day and continue 
running servers and living the rock star life of the validator. You know? I think it, it depends what's built on top of the protocol and what the protocol is doing. I mean, obviously something like secret network with the whole tornado cash debacle that we just had has a little more inherent risk in the government trying to shut down that network because you can perform functions like building a coin mixer on it. And if someone were to build a, say, a dark net or something like that on top of secret network or a coin mixer, um, you know, maybe that product itself is built by like completely anonymous people and there's no way for a government to go after them. But maybe they can go after the validators that are public and the chain itself. It's well, like, you know, that, yeah. in one country there, right? like the, the chances of the entire world doing that and all going after the validators of one network is like pretty slim. And I guess as well, long as stakers yeah. could switch their delegation, right, as the validators got taken down. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. this is the thing, right? Like, obviously, that's not good for us as validators. But from the point of view of the network and the point of view of the owners of the network who are the stakers, it would probably be fine because we are replaceable and we should be replaceable. Mm -hmm. So, like, a different way of thinking about this was kind of in the in the Juno Prop 16 thing, which was not about government censorship, but the fear potentially of legal repercussions, of um, regulatory repercussions, right? That was much more like, you know, a regulator knocks on your door and shuts you down. That 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 felt to me more likely, at least in, in, in our jurisdiction, right? But in that situation, again, the, the irony here and the irony we kind of felt at the time was that if we did get shut down, like stakers would be like, well, first of all, you weren't that hot on Prop 16 anyway. And also we're going to redelegate to somebody else anyway. So not only do you go to jail, but you also lose all your money for a thing that you didn't even want to do. And that was, I think, the the prime, the huge irony of Prop 16, right? And that was why it was very silly it, in my personal view, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, you make a good point about secret, I guess. But then it's also, I think, I guess back to you know, back to my point. That's a weird thing to say. You know, I guess it's kind of fine that we're expendable, right? As validators. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a few things here. Like one, I actually don't think it's unreasonable to assume that a lot of people would come for one chain, especially like something like Ethereum, and like 29 countries shut off the internet in 2020. So like they shut down the internet in the U.S. We'll see what happens to to Ethereum. I, I I don't I don't know what happened. We well, are expendable. Ethereum's like, Ethereum's like a little bit different though to the Cosmos yeah. in that it's pretty anonymous. Like uh, you, yeah, you but can, most of the nodes do run on like AWS and Azure. So oh, like, so you, mass, you shut down the internet in the US. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Russia shut down the internet for a period of time in 2020. So like stuff would have just gone mm -hmm. offline and like, we think we're expendable. I agree like at, at a technical level, but like the reality is, is how fast could like 60 validators come onto a cosh net right. in one hour. It's not, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, well, I mean, that would just make it centralized anyway, because there's only a yeah, certain right. amount of a cash providers and they're in mm -hmm. the U S <laughs> yeah. right. to reference and, back to, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Last point. I am not I'm rambling on, but, we have a guy, Elio Trades, or YouTuber, who had a validator in Akash. He hasn't produced a block in seven days. Still has 1.3 million AKT delegated to him, and there isn't a foundation delegation. 
So I'm not super confident in delegators being that involved, especially on smaller chains, to re-delegate quickly. Right. So that's a good point. On that point, <laughs> your last one, um, you know, that's where groups like Cosmos Validators and uh, what's the other one that Jack from Strangelove? Um, fuck, one of you guys know. You know, you the, Validator Commons? Yeah, yeah, Validator Commons. That's kind of what, you know, these groups are trying to accomplish is providing better information for delegators to actually go and make competent decisions, you know, not pushing our own notes or anything, but literally just giving them the data and saying, Hey, this is what, you know, XYZ validator is doing. Here's a much simpler dashboard to look at, to make decisions from, because right now you're just inundated with a giant list and, you know, oh, well, I'm just going to pick from the top 10 because they look safe. They all have the same percentage commissions. You know, they're at the floor, relatively the same. They look the safest, yada, yada. Um, going back to the previous point with validators are replaceable and tying this back to Tornado Cash, there was actually a point that, you know, there were legal implications for even signing a block that then you know, related to Tornado Cash. So any validator, any node that had even processed a transaction that touched Tornado Cash, you are now liable. So, you know, if every single node on the network is processing these blocks, how how replaceable, you know, can you really replace all of that? Yes, and this is where like the Sybil comes into play for me, which is, can you put Rama's uh, comment up there where he says, okay, so for chain, we I was about to say, we should probably address that comment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, this is a problem. He is, co he's completely okay. can correct. I just, sorry, can I just, cause this will go out on a podcast player as well. Um, so Rama has commented. Uh, so for a chain, let's say we end up with five white label providers doing updates on 50 nodes total. So for most Cosmos chains, that would be like half of the, mm -hmm. the valve set. Let's say they fuck up and they hold the chain. Are we okay with that? And so like my response here is like that would suck that is bad but the alternative to actually being able to prevent somebody from pseudonymously creating other validators would be to have like an access mechanism to join the chain as a validator and that is a very centralized force so like you lose permissionlessness as you try and prevent civil attacks and i think that in the hierarchy of values in a blockchain you should put permissionlessness above that of the risk of a symbol. Like he's right. That is a problem, but I just don't see how you can fix it without losing permissionlessness. No, I, I definitely yeah, I can only fix it with yeah. social pressure, right? Yeah. And if it's you know, pseudonymous, I, like how are you going to catch him? Right. Well, the other way you fix it, right. is by having a valve set so large that it doesn't matter because back to your point, Moultrie, like it, it, it actually makes sense both from, well, both from infra time, delegations to just run one node so there's also the thing of like if you have the i strongly suspect actually the more nodes you have even in any system where you you're involving voting power the more dumb the idea of even running a sybil or running multiple nodes becomes from an operational standpoint so there's also a question of like you know when valve sets right. move beyond 100 200 300 and and that might not be possible with current tendermint bft um, but is possible in other systems, right? Yeah, I mean, like the question you bring up a great point is with the Sybil, why do we even care? We we don't 
really theoretically care if there wasn't such competition for those bottom spots. I don't think. I don't think we'd be going on about it so much if it weren't taking the opportunity away from someone else qualified. Um, and if decentralization is the true why we give a shit factor, then like you said, there's some number where we hit a thousand nodes and it doesn't matter anymore, or you know, ten thousand nodes, whatever that number may be. And for for me, that was the biggest reason of calling out Hobi was I mean, literally a day before, bro and bro made a big push. We see them all across the ecosystem. We know they're qualified validator, they're trusted, a lot of people delegate to them, they contribute to the ecosystem, yet they can't make it, you know, even to the floor. Meanwhile, you've got a centralized exchange validator that's ICF, you know, they're, they're delegating to them. So they support them. Taking up an additional slot for what reason exactly? I mean, you know. Yeah, the, the reality though is they could have just launched that node and said that they were ghost node or whatever and we wouldn't have known. And then we all would have gone about our days as if everything was perfectly valid. They could have. Um, the thing is, is that both of these wallets on both of the nodes tie back three and a half years and feed into the same exact wallet. So at the end of the day, I mean, there's no disputing that this yeah, is. Yeah, but they could the have just used a new wallet. Like, I'm no, saying it's kind of abnormal. It's so transparent. But if they just use a new wallet and change their right. name, they still would have taken Bro and Bro spot and we would have thought everything was fine. So like there's. If you say don't do that, yeah, well, we're not actually stopping them from doing anything. They'll, so they'll find a way. Be yeah. more no, I, I definitely get your point. You know, um, and I guess when I use you know the term civil, in this scenario, it isn't quite the correct term, even though it's very similar in what it's doing. Um, yeah, I guess we're way, we're, we're always that, we're talking about running multiple validators, really, in this situation, aren't we? We're just like I think, like Brendan said. The real the real question here is, even if small, the fact that you're not getting an additional operator when you only have a hundred slots, when you only have a hundred and fifty slots, let's say, is actually I mean, it's like what even it's one one hundred and fiftieth of the network is is more centralized right, as a result, which is actually a meaningful amount. Maybe one team that does that, or two teams that do that, and three and. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, this snowballs. If we allow this to, which is back to the white okay. label point, I, I was I was gonna try to bring it back there, Frey, because I was actually curious when you mentioned white labeling and Juno. Do they take active measures to monitor if validators are white labeling, and if so, how, what would that even look like in terms of how how would you even know? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's something, it's something that there are, well, there are obviously ways of trying to work it out, but at, at a most fundamental level, it, it's basically you can, most people are open enough with whether or not they're doing it is number one, which is obviously the easiest thing to do because I think people have, are quite obviously fearful of being discovered if they are lying, caught in the act, if you like. Um, but the second thing is like, it's also very, very obvious if people are technically qualified or not to, you know, interact with the Linux command line. So that's, that's also a dead clue that you can then go from there to work it out. I think somebody who had more of a like 
actual security background would be able to probably come up with something more sophisticated yeah Yeah. (laughs) both to you know do white labeling and get away with it or also to uncover who was doing what um like definitely some people dox themselves though anyway like lots of people dox themselves as well but it's also like i say it's also pretty obvious who's who's running a white label and who's not um i think the big yeah like I say, I I I think it's one of those that like I don't have. I have a problem with the majority of the valve set, or like a significant chunk of the valve set, became white labeled by one or two operators. That would be very bad. And I know there are some very big validator operations who are looking to aggressively expand in the bear market, mm. and that concerns me as somebody who is part of a core team for network stability because I spend a lot of time thinking about what will happen if the network is down, right? Um, um, and and how bollocked am I going to get on Twitter if it turns out that there were 40 fucking nodes with the same white label? It's be like, what are you guys doing? Are you totally fucking asleep? And it would be like, oh yeah, I guess you are totally fucking asleep, huh? <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, like, I'm, I'm curious as kind of there's been talk about there about this validator code of conduct um, type of, um, you know, document that, that people may put on their own website or um, on the Cosmos validator, you know, Discord and things like that. Is white labeling something we would, you know, include in that code of conduct? Is it something, how do, how do we feel about that in general? I think that would be like a whole nother game of nodes episode potentially i think the problem with the code of conduct is is that it's entirely optional and a lot of people who do that type of stuff probably wouldn't sign up to the code of conduct anyway and at the end of the day who gives a fuck about a code of conduct other than validators i think it's like pretty much a thing that the majority of delegators would never see or care about and because they're only interested in their influencer node, right? The person who's making the most noise on Twitter. So they don't care about whether you're a good operator or not, how many nodes you run, any of that shit. All they care about is, you know, did you say the right thing on the the Twitterverse? And that's, to be fair, did, not everybody, but the vast majority of people. So, you know, I don't think it matters what you put on your, your code of conduct um, in that sense, I think you can like, you know, do as much social pressure as you want in the validator sphere of things, like, you know, between you, me and, and the other validators all in, in that particular group and, and applying pressure to each other in that way. But at the end of the day, there's going to be outliers who just don't give a fuck and have enough reach anyway. So I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, right, I'm in two it, fences with, with codes yeah. of conduct and that type of stuff. It's, it's not, well, also, it, is, like, it is nice and cuddly to do um, and expect that people will like abide by it. But at the end of the day, but if someone be. wants to make no, money, I mean, they're going to say, fuck you, throw it to the wall. We don't give a shit. And perfect throwback. Well, well, it's also, oh, well, it's also just like, wall. if it's, yeah, if it's unenforceable, who gives a fuck? Like just, just putting it out there is, is potentially like, it's, it's just like, why? Yeah. What like and, yeah. and kind of exposing its uselessness is actually kind of like I, I would like to think that the needlecast position ourselves as like we're pretty transparent about what we do, we try our best in everything we do, but you know, we're also like not making any promises we're not gonna keep to. I doubt we would fucking sign a, a code of conduct because it would be like 
Why? We Why? like at King Nodes, we will apply our own policies because of that's what we want to do. Uh, we want to abide by our own policies and we want people to know what they're getting when they delegate to us. But in terms of like an all-encompassing code of conduct for all validators to abide by, I think it's a total waste of fucking time, to be honest. It's just not going to stick unless it's literally, you know, passed through governance and becomes code. And and also, to be honest, might actually defeat the object of the whole enterprise anyway. Like, it, it kind of seems to me that if you are able to enforce a code of conduct on like something like like obviously foundation delegations or or you know multi-sig delegations in the case of Juno like that yeah you know, obviously it's up to that or that DAO essentially to decide how they want to distribute that money so they're doing an economic incentive to encourage good behavior or behavior they see as good great that's kind of what we're doing here i guess but apart from that it's like well the the opposite is true actually you want you want as many people running as many different nodes and as many different ways as possible. And you probably want as many of them as possible in the longer term too. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, when you have a decentralized systems of pulleys and ropes, like if you are enforcing anything, it's counter to the ethos of that thing. Like you can't have a decentralized permissionless thing and then try to enforce a rule on it. You can, yeah, like you say, incentivize the types of behaviors that you want to see from like, you know, bodies with a lot of power, but you can't selectively say, this is a decentralized system with no rules. However, you can't run a symbol, you can't do this and you can't do that. All we can say is all the other validators think that that's a shitty thing to do and fuck you for doing it, but at the end of the day, you're going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah so. unless it's in code. If it's in code, then it's law. Well, that is the only law in this system is the code well, that we have. Well, social uh, consensus. Prop yeah. sixteen showed Prop 16. social <laughs> consensus. And then you but, have to well, actually. Yeah. But the but point that's is, still code, right? How you could. Well, social well, yeah, consensus that leads to a code. What's that? How can you can't code away Sybil? So, like that's so, that's the. Which QED, right? That means you can't stop Sybils. I mean, you could. You would, you could, uh, actually, you would have to put in the ability to yeah. go only socially, a key, you know, a social specific, slashing. Social slashing or a specific key could be the only one to create a validator. Then you could, you know, have a, this centralized point where validators are corrected or uh, created. So that way I would verify that you are who you say ghost. And then now you can have your, your validator as I sign you through an audited attribute or something like that. But that is very permissioned and anti-cryptocurrency. So in my opinion, right, back because to square one. Back to square one, you gotta let Sybil exist. We'll call so people out when it happens. Schultzy jumped in the comments to say he disagrees and there should be a method for slashing through governance, picking up on what yeah. Ghost said. Um, there should be a way to punish bad behavior. But this is, I think, back to the kind of rough consensus we were arriving at there, which is like, okay, there's two different things going on here. There's what does the code allow you to do? And then there's there's this big woolly social consensus, which at the moment is very largely DGENs and airdrop hunters. Let's be honest. <laughs> and right, so so which you know kind of it, it, it's you know any system suffers from the culture that engenders it and blah blah blah. Let's not go too postmodern about it, but we're, that's the situation we're in, right? And 
if that actually changes and we get mass adoption, then the question is, what systems are we going to build and what cons- what is consensus going to say, this is wrong, write code to correct it? Because that's basically how law works-ish with a little bit of wiggling for corporate interests and all the different ebbs and flows of you know power dynamics in a society, right? It's basically a, a combination of different things that are forming a social contract, right? So, but we're still so early that nobody apart from the validators, maybe in the devs and a few engaged people and the very clever people, obviously that are listening to this podcast, watching it on YouTube or Twitter and commenting in the comments are obviously thinking about because we get a lot of tweets and things about subjects just like this. Um, but like, I think the majority of the users in, in the space are not, are not thinking about those things yet. They're not thinking about like governance as actual governance like other than in very exceptional circumstances like maybe prop 16 was one of those uh just also shout out to all of the people uh listening and watching our podcast thanks for coming and uh just know that you are alphas you are gonna make it If you're not watching this. And and don't invest (laughs) in Echelon, whatever you do. Well, so I I called this, I called this one, we're doing a new thing where rather than try and name the episode afterwards, we're going to name it ahead of time. I called this one Beyond Thunderdome because I was expecting serious drama based on the amount of sledging that had happened on Twitter in the week. And we've actually kept it. Yeah, we've just been talking about actual things. There was there was some Moultrie drew a bloody a bloody graph of mac you know, macroeconomic <laughs> supply and supply and demand graph. That's like Seriously. take taking taking all of us back to school that did econ. So like hand, hand the, drawn in like one second, he's like, here's the yeah. graph, boys. So my question is like, <laughs> like yeah, on, where's, my, like where's my drama, lads? Yeah, where's my drama? I, I can't be well, I mean, here for the, the drama. The drama's been the past few days, all echelon. Let's create oh, some drama. Yeah, let's move yeah, on to yeah. Echelon. So, who wants to who wants to lay the law on Echelon and give us the rundown? Maybe Ghost. It seems like everybody wants to go. I Bye. got it. I got this shit. Chomping. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so Imperator was the first to leave the set. Um, but prior to that, hang I on, had been hang on, getting. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Just pause. What did you say? Imperator. Imperator. Can anyone? Yeah. Is this is this how it's said? How how do you say it? How do you say it? Imperator. Mm. I've been I've been saying imperator. I don't know. <laughs> Is that a word I yeah. should know? Sorry, man. Continue. Yeah. I just uh, yeah, I, I really needed to know. Uh, they they were the first ones to leave the set, but um, I had been getting DMs from I think two or three different people for roughly two or three weeks, just saying, "Hey, something doesn't look right here." You know, we've looked at GitHub, we've looked at this, we looked at that. We knew it was a one, you know, practically a one-to-one clone of at most. They were just forking and trying to run their own thing, yada yada. Okay, whatever. It was one of these small bullshit chains, you know. Um, <laughs> no judgment. We joined. It might turn into something. It might not. They may go on to create their own thing on top of this. Which okay, fine. You know, if that happens, great. It turned into something. Um, that ended up not being the case at all. You know, a lot of information was shared that started pointing to very different things. Um, I don't remember the guy's name exactly. Carson. It was Carson. Yeah, Carson. Something. CK. Yeah. Yeah. Is all I know. Um, you know, some apparently like known prolific scammer dating back to 2013 and just across various ecosystem scamming. I mean, apparently one of his old bosses from like. 
Uh, I think it's GAW or DAW miners, something like that, uh, back in 14, 15, 13, something like that. was actually indicted and imprisoned, and Carson managed to get away with it and not serve any time and all that. Um, and he's just been going from ecosystem to ecosystem. Right before he came to the cosmos with Echelon, well, according to him, Echelon is not the cosmos, even though it's Tendermint, Cosmos SDK, and he's advertising to everybody in the cosmos. Um, and he forked the most. But uh, in, I guess he went over in Harmony and did a bunch of shit over there. And then before that, you know, it was a different ecosystem. I mean, if you just go back on Twitter, there's a trail of just tweets and ecosystem. People are saying, what's Carson up to these days? Oh, looks like he's attacking, you know, Cosmos now. So it's, kinda, it seems it seems like up. Carson is a little bit scammy. So let's uh, let's review the, the events really that led to uh, us even looking into it or, you know, the Cosmos people even looking into it and uh, and uncovering all this. So how did that play out? What, what happened there? Something about DMs and uh, yeah, stuff like that. Yep. So it became <laughs> DMs. Um, you know, I noticed something interesting a day or two before I got the DM from 360, which is the... Well, it, it started um, with the, the open bribe for governance. Okay, okay. So, yes, it was right. technically the open bribe, but a day before that, they pushed an announcement saying they wanted to speed up their block times to half a second. Their EVMOS, which only runs at a second and has how many hundreds of transactions per block? Um, this is Echelon with, you know, way less transactions and all that going on. They wanted to speed up their block times to half a second. And I questioned it in the validator channel. I'm like, why? Why do we need this? Everything's running fine. There's zero reason to do this. You're telling us you want us to 10x, 12x our, you know, bandwidth and storage and all that for the same exact epoch rewards. Does that make any sense at all? I mean, we're this something didn't add up. And then the next day, the big news, of course, was just, oh, let's bribe everybody for votes. Um, so how did that look? And, what what was the what was the value proposition to uh, get those votes? For people who don't know it was and and it wasn't just validators voting it was the top something like you know the top 10 or top 20 or top 30 you know it was top ranking validators sorry ac kicked um it's too loud yeah basically just the richest people whoever was willing to vote yes on this was going to get just handed a bunch of liquid echelon so it, it wasn't it wasn't based on necessarily validators, right? It was the top ten or no, twenty it was the top wallets by was size six. that vote yes That's will right. get Correct. a and liquid then of course reward. You, you see all of these whales and big validators voting yes, what is that gonna do? It's gonna cascade out. People are typically gonna follow the lead. You yeah. Know? Um so, so that started coming and I, I said something in the Discord and it just it, it started off. It just blew up from there. So you, you know, yourself I, I and yourself and others took issue with that, rightly so, um, because buying votes is not socially great. Um, and it, further to that, though, that uh, so some people who did speak up about that were, uh, you know, had some private conversation as well that uh, sort of illuminated some people as to not being very nice, right? Um, yeah. So. Um, and someone who wasn't even an echelon validator. So, and I think 
a comment just popped up. I'm looking at it. Is he in here? Was it was it uh, Highlander? No, it wasn't Highlander. It was Crypto Crew. Crypto Crew. So Clemens. They, yep. They were DMing um, Zero XSH, which is the founder, operator of Echelon, whatever. They're, you know, cult leader of all of his shill accounts. And he said, we're going to be voting no with Vito on this. He wasn't, they're not even an Echelon validator. They're just an Osmo validator. Um, and then all of a sudden, the rest of this DM, the response from ZRXF were like, you know, racial slurs. Um, just very, yeah. You, you guys know what it says. I don't need to repeat it. Um, and so, yeah, yes, you know, it was, it was not very nice things. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just some really, you know, shit you just don't say, period, ever. Like, which which was later um, shared. Yeah, yeah. So th those things were, if you um, are interested, like those things were shared on Twitter, and you can go and find them. They weren't very nice. Um, so there was quite a big backlash then uh, on that subject with Echelon, and um, I think any validator that's, you know, uh, a multi, like all of the, I would say most of the multi-chain validators for Echelon ended up leaving like the, the ones with um, known brands um, ended up leaving the chain. So, uh, and at least there was some, you know, fun memes that became of that. Anyway, I'm trying to yeah. find one. <laughs> that, that was, that was uh, yesterday and the day before, and I didn't see them until yesterday, but I actually, you know what? We embraced it. It's not my Twitter cover photo. Like, you know what? Yeah. 300 whisper 300. Let's go. Rarma. Rama didn't want us uh, retweeting them, though. He said we were doing their marketing for them. <laughs> yeah, and, and we we won't retweet it, but let's let's find it and like just yeah. play it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that nineteen second uh, three hundred clip. Yeah, man. Oh, uh, oh they, so they took it down off Twitter. Um, they deleted it after we started embracing it, and everyone started wow. jumping in and like making fun of it. But it was Echelon Joker that Twitter account, yeah, or Echelon underscore joker uh so it's it it no longer exists the video is that what you're telling me not on twitter yeah he deleted it all of our comments still exist i don't know Shit. if anyone else shared it i had retweeted it and then deleted it later but it still wouldn't exist if he deleted the original i but if you go look at my twitter today i just yeah have a clip uh, i can i can see the screenshot out of there yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like 12 seconds in i'll share it in oh, chat. man can't believe they deleted that hard work yeah i love it no it was like you know they yeah i know and they had like three different ones but this was the best one by far when is twitter uh, going to be on the blockchain Twitter, <laughs> lavender uh so yeah. <laughs> uh well i mean i liked the i liked the one where the echelon was just sweeping away the people too that was fun well, the validators yeah, that were going that too. <laughs> yeah and then in a paradigm they were kind of stuck like yeah <laughs> Say that again, Im Imperator. 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 Uh, now, now say Evmos again, Ghost. Evmos. Ah, uh, that's not what you said before. I know you said Evmos. Evmos. Yeah, Evmos. Okay, yeah, Evmos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sometimes I say Evmos. It's okay. Sometimes Evmos. I don't know. It's all good. It's like tomato, tomato. Yeah. Well, it's, all good. it's not like room, rude, room, Frey. You know, like what? last week. <laughs> Trying to, what wasn't it last week? Everyone was trying to say, like, are you saying room, room? Like, what the hell are you saying? You mean June? 
Do you, we can, yeah, we can, exactly. We can do this all. Again. You know, I I can't help it that not everybody speaks English correctly. Yeah, um, the, the issue here is that the phrase coming from a point of a couple thousand years of history. Well, actually, well, <laughs> of pronunciation. Fun fun fact: the American, Amer- isn't it that Americans specifically? Like a lot of your pronunciation is more locked into how pronunciation was in specific parts of England, like two hundred years ago, and that's just kind of gone. Yeah, I'm sure. The, I'm sure. Whereas, like yeah, ours like is still just like times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ours yeah. is still kind of like you know whatever it was. It's just the same old regional shit. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I have I have a, I have quite a nondescript southern accent actually, as far as English accents go. Um, it's not I don't very think anybody in this call would know. If you heard it, if you, if you, if you heard Highlander talk, well, I mean, Highlander's mm. Scottish, but if you heard Highlander yeah. talk, you'd, you'd see how many different, uh, what the, what the ranges in the, in the British Isles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, right? Like two, three weeks ago, something yeah. like that. Anyone? Yeah. It's quite good. Can we see it's this? Funny. Oh, does someone find it? Uh, no, that's not. That's not well. That's a this different is, one. I didn't see this, this one. one. Though. Here we go. Seven, we can. We can see this one. Sorry to everybody on podcast. So for everybody in the podcast, it's the it's the, this is Sparta scene, but it's it's got the words down the bottom. This is Echelon kicking a person that is just a conglomerate conglom- All seven conglomerate conglomerate. Yeah, conglomerate of uh, validator icons into the pit. Yeah, we're the we're the exit. We're, we're the futters fudding ourselves. Yeah, I mean, overall, this has to be a bullish thing for Cosmos, right? All these, like, you have a bunch of. We're finally getting recognition <laughs> that all this, right? all Yo, this other it. shit that's falling out of these other chains is now showing up here, and now we have the same problems. You gotta be, you gotta be Cosmos bullish on this stuff, right? Like, I mean, it, and it feels we've good. arrived. Feels good. We've we've <laughs> arrived. We have all this shit change, like all this shit's happening. And then, it, I mean, we to the good news. point, you have you have a lot of validators that that step up and like, hey, I'm not doing this shit, right? Um, regardless of how easy it is or whatever else, and you get this pushback, which is hilarious. And then you get Osmo, like this 309 thing getting rejected is great. I think it's hilarious. And then you have did did it fully get no with vetoed? I don't know if it did or not. Is it three oh nine? I don't want to miss but miss, miss speak about three oh nine. Is that the gelato one? It might be the gelato. I apologize. Or, if it's whatever whichever or, one is associated with three oh seven, three oh seven, three oh six. Whatever Look, it is. It might be um, but yeah, yeah someone someone is putting a lot of effort into bringing us into you know the Oh yeah, the, it's uh, gonna fail with the no with veto tomorrow. Three oh seven says Rama. If anybody yeah. knows, he knows. <laughs> 56. Um, it's just it's just quite good that uh, I mean, not quite good. It, it's a part of growing up, I think, as an ecosystem, right? You get this kind of shit's gonna come in. This one's great. Can, Absolutely. What do you got? Can I hire this meme guy? Oh, I haven't seen this one yet either. Nice. Oh, look at Jacob right in the middle. <laughs> I don't see. Where's Schultzy? No, no. Where's Black Jacob on there? Oh, oh no. this is the echelon you see side. His face. Yeah. yeah, no, you just see Jacob's face. You don't see Notion. This is amazing. Oh! <laughs> 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 Jacob's face. <laughs> uh, Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's Schultz. All right. Of course the- All right, Lavender got in there. 
Right, you've got to love the the additional like meta of the fact that one of the things charging them is the Imperator logo, and the Imperator like the, yeah. Obviously, yeah, like the the word in Latin became the basis for was it was one of the additional names given to the Roman emperors when they transitioned from republic to empire, and it's where the root of the word emperor comes from, right? And they got that name oh, because they it. fucking beat the Greeks, including right. the Spartans, and That's drowned right. them down into the ground. And uh, yeah, fun fact like, about the phalanx: great military formation, really inflexible. When they first encountered Roman legionnaires. Uh, equipped with short swords they they literally like wrote about it and they were like holy fuck this is how could anybody fight with anything so fucking vicious and it's like yeah well it won so so there you go yeah that's what happens yeah no this and so this is the this is the one that sparked it all we have another one this is the og this this is the The og Is there software this or somebody literally moved that little icon around? <laughs> oh, which oh, they did the. I love how the head switch. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, to be fair, someone's going to a lot of effort. Like, <laughs> yeah. But but then he deleted it. You know, like oh, what a shame. Uh, man. And, and they're all there. They're still there. Thought, yeah. I, well, it looked like he deleted it early. He just blocked you. Probably just deleted. Probably just it could have been. Uh, I think he um, just blocked you. He left you know, his hard work out. You know, at first I truly thought it was a satire account, but I mean, honestly, <laughs> this, you this, know, I went through it and I was like, wow, it's not. This makes me 100% bullish on the Big Mac index, to be honest. Like, this is just good <laughs> stuff across the board. Right? We need the Juno BMI. It's all good towards the BMI. Who can make that like Twitter bot? You know the one where you do like how many to how many to buy a Lambo. We need the one for. For uh, Telegram, that's how many to buy a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. We should totally do that. Like, just throw up a little, yeah, little mini fun bullshit grant bounty yeah. bonus. So, while we've got Moultrie here as well, I was actually going to rug everybody in twenty-five seconds. Um, you know, pertaining to <laughs> the ninety-minute rule. Coming on that too, um, but but I was like, you know, we've got Moultrie here. We actually should also just like ask a fucking question about auditing rather than also just being complete degenerates for an <laughs> entire good, episode yeah. it's a good idea um so I, I get i like i it's obviously very 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 common for projects to need to um need to or want to get audits done before they go mainnet or, or sort of get out there like in your honest opinion as like you know, a professional in the space do you think that those audits by and large are either a needed by the majority of projects or b actually catching major issues in production like what's your experience of that uh, yeah so we do primarily infrastructure auditing but in terms of software auditing you do have like if you think about just like rust as a language right like it blocks you from making a lot of stupid errors and that's good because tons of people do it, like myself included in other languages. And so to have like just the run of the mill, we're going to do an end to end test. We'll check your software based off of a few signatures. You can think like clam AV style. I think that that does do a lot of good. Um, you're not going to ever get a hundred percent solution. Any auditor saying they have a hundred percent solution, like your code is definitely secure is lying and should be trusted. So I think there definitely is a place. I'm probably biased because it's my company. Um, but it's, I don't think that people should ever see that somebody got audited and think that this means it is safe, guaranteed. 
So for infrastructure auditing, it's a bit like more ecosystem specific because like on a cache, you want the provider to actually provide whatever deployment you want and like not drop that you don't want them to manipulate what you're running, things like that, because Akash still doesn't have homomorphic encryption yet. Same thing with like DVPN, you want that node to not drop your IP address, etc. So there's a place for it all, I think, but not as extensive as I think people conceive it as. It is quite hard to decentralized run a validator reliably at the moment and audit it and promise all of these things yeah know, so which like could lead a whole staking you know and i'm not trying to start that whole conversation but you know offering say slash insurance but you don't have proof that you have the funds or you know i mean you can go down a whole rabbit hole with this yeah well i mean yeah, if you want to drop some more drama per second in the in at the tail end of the episode i guess we could just say we, we talked earlier about about Sybils and about you know a variety of other things involved which for which the solution is social consensus um, uh, that was weird thank you no um, or like about maybe delegators like understanding better who they're delegating to um, but obviously the other bit of drama I guess within the group that we've been I guess having some debate on the value over is like the whole staking rewards thing, right? Which I think, which it felt like ghost was maybe about to, to mention that. And that's, 